Welcome to Cage Minds MMA Show. I'm Micah Frankel. The website is cageminds.com. Whether you're listening or watching, you're much appreciated. Like, share, subscribe, leave a nice review. All the great things. Tell people about the show. It all helps. And you can support also by going to nmproshop.com to pick up the merchandise, hoodies, t-shirts, beanies, mugs, all available. Keep up with everything that Cage Minds is doing on social media, Cage Minds Combat Sports News, on Facebook, Cage Minds underscore CSN on Instagram, and at Cage Minds MMA on Twitter, the original. Also on Twitter, I got my own, at Frankel Micah, the last name, then the first name. And if you're seeing all the wonderful photos on social media, most of those are are provided by the great team of photographers that I work with, Rob Gutierrez, Franklin Romero, Michael Carlisle. Also, check out the other podcasts I'm a part of on the After Hours Podcast Network alongside of Michael Carlisle. We're talking about MMA After Hours and Pro Wrestling After Hours, not to mention you got Talking Pro Football and Losing It Together over there on the After Hours Podcast Network. You can also hear me on Mike Adams 2.0, playing Sports Factor fishing, Fiction alongside of Mike. You can hear that on the podcast or live here in New Mexico on ESPN Radio 1017, the team, every Saturday. So doing a lot. All the support is appreciated. Every listener, every viewer, every comment. Now let's get to talking about MMA, because that's why we're here today. We're going to start off like how we normally do, talking about last week's fights. One championship, full circle, Singapore, three world title fights on one stat card. The main event, two division, one world champion, Renner Day Ryder, continues to be unbeaten. Now 15-0, successfully defending the middleweight title taking down one welterweight champion, Kareem Abasov, and getting the head and arm choke to retain his title. Roman Kakaila defeats Marat Igon with the one light heavyweight kickboxing title on the line of vicious TKO there. And unfortunately, Petsmarut versus Jamal Youssef, the battle for the one Super Series Muay Thai featherweight title, had to be canceled. That one looking to be rebooked immediately. And Vitaly Big Dash comes out on top of the trilogy, getting the unanimous decision win over Laang La and Song. Then we head over from one championship and the best middleweight that possibly nobody will ever see. Because let's be honest, I don't think one is going to let. Renner Day Ryder, get away from him. The Dutchman, 15-0, incredible stuff. You haven't seen a lot of free agents jump ship. I mean, yes, there was the big trade, Askren for Mighty Mouse. There was the free agent period with Eddie Alvarez. You've seen kind of a shift there with the heavyweight division. Arjunson Bular really being the first athlete to not be happy with one 
One is trying to compete with the UFC. You're not going to see them be a feeder league. So Renner Day Ryder, you guys are going to have to wake up early in the morning if you want to check out somebody who is doing some spectacular stuff there on the other side of the world. He has the he the middleweight title. He has the light heavyweight title. He's called to have an opportunity at the heavyweight crown. It may just happen. He's also called out to take on some of the best grapplers in the world in the one grappling realm. So who knows what's next for the Dutchman? but he's somebody that is worth getting up early in the morning to check out. Now, mid-afternoon on Friday, you had Bellator 275. Bellator over in Ireland. Still a middleweight world title fight. Gegard Mousasi being challenged by the unbeaten Austin Vanderford, and it was all Mousasi. Some pundits had thought that the power wrestling, the big double leg, the energy, the useful vigor of Vanderford would be able to wear down Musasi early. That was not to happen. Musasi got the jab going early. The crisp one, two. Vanderford swinging to save his life and gets taken out quickly. The precision striking, the right hand stuffing a takedown, getting on top and ground and pounding his way to a victory in 85 seconds. You're not doing it right if you're doing rankings and you don't have, we're talking about cross division now, cross the division. Cross promotions, Gegard Mousasi, Renner de Ryder have to be there in your top five alongside of Robert Ritter, alongside of Israel Adesanya. There's more fish in the sea than just the UFC game, and these two middleweights, these two Dutch fighters, proved it by both retaining their titles on Saturday in ultra-impressive fashions. And not to mention, they did train together. Mousasi, what's next up for him? Well... Bellator has a quick answer for that. John Salter, yes, he did lose to Gegard Musasi, but he's got a quick turnaround opportunity taking on number three ranked Johnny Eblen. So you got two versus three. It's like a spectacular performance. Eblen, unbeaten, obviously going to walk into a title shot if he gets the victory. Salter, though, could take that momentum. Or could it be Fabian Edwards? Yes, yes, he did lose to Vanderford, but now he's going to be taking on Leota Machida. And Machida... Well, he did fall to Musasi. It was by a split decision. And even though he's outside of the rankings, that name right, Machida, that could command a rematch and be a main event for Bellator MMA. Or maybe, maybe the outside chance, maybe Musasi takes a look at going against the winner of the light heavyweight Grand Prix. So I think there's three huge fights on the horizon that are possibilities, realistic ones, for Gegard Musasi, and it's time to acknowledge the run that he's having there in Bellator, and that this may have been one of the guys that the UFC let go of a little too early. Don't forget, Musasi was knocking on the door of a title shot when he became a free agent. I'm talking about title opportunities in the co-main events, Sinead Kavanaugh, Defeats Liam McCourt. One judge gives her all three rounds. The other two go two to one. The striking on the Irish fighter's side. She's so moxie. She's so toughness. And when you're able to turn back the hot name of the division like McCourt, the announcement was made. Kavanaugh gets a second crack at Cyborg here in 2022. We've all been waiting for the Katz and Ganu Cyborg fight, but possibly negotiations about drug testing being implemented have curtailed those talks of a title fight. We know that Zingano is facing Pam Sorensen at Bellator 276 and Kavanaugh has been announced as the number one contender. 
So Cyborg Kavanaugh 2, it's on the way. Kasim Magomed Sherapov, the brother of Zabit Magomed Sherapov, beats the brakes off of Jose Sanchez, shows the diverse skill set, gets takedowns, wild kicks, precision striking, the whole deal just like his brother, the grappling, the striking, another terrifying featherweight coming up there in Bellator. And in the bantamweight division, Jornel Lugo remains unbeaten. The unanimous decision win over Brian Moore showed off the slick striking. Lugo, he's right there. He's primed and ready. If there's an injury in that bantamweight World Grand Prix, you know Lugo wants to get right in there after Josh Hill to be an alternate. We could welcome you back to the States. There was LFA. 125 from Niagara Falls. Women's straw weight title on the line in the main event. Who would walk away the fourth ever 115 pound women's champion in LFA history? Jacqueline Amore, Lavette Young. Very quickly, the fight gets to the ground and it's a knee bar in the first round. We have a huge cage grab from Young as Amore gets in. On a double leg, a point deduction. If you want to take a minute, the ref though point deduction for the cage grab does not restart them in a grappling position. I'm not sure if you're supposed to put Young directly on her back, but Amore was in on a double leg, was about to lift Young when they're broken up by the referee because of the cage grab that was impeding that double leg. Young catches an Amore kick. They hit the ground. The scramble is on. The knee bar is locked in. A couple adjustments. And the Brazilian gets the tap. Still unbeaten. Gets the strap. And predicting that Amore, next time we see her, will be inside of the UFC octagon. The co-main event, it was a local upset as Adam Fugit defeats Solomon Renfro with a first round knockout. Fugit is going left high kick, right hook, right hook gets the knockdown, finishes up with a couple hammer fists on the ground. The flash knockout, Renfro doesn't know what happened. Fugit coming down from 85 to 70. If he can make that weight, huge frame, dangerous guy. Michael Stack gets the unanimous decision win over Kai Griego. The decision relied heavily on the takedowns. Stack keeps it on rolling. And in women's strawweight action earlier on in the night, you saw the beautiful Muay Thai action of Ashley Nichols defeating Hillary Rose by unanimous decision. It was Nichols with the clinch early. Her jabs got going between the second and the third round. And then we also saw takedowns in the second and third. So first fight in MMA in over four years and into the win column. And on just a couple days notice, with the card needing an extra fight, really to put on UFC Fight Pass, Guilherme Freyara and Zach Zane jump in. Two solid veterans. The short notice fight was explosive as expected. And Freyara, with chopping low kicks, is able to disable Zane's leg, stop the movement, tees off with punches, and gets the first round, or the second round finish, excuse me, on that one. Saturday morning, take you over to Poland, can tell you that, and still, your KSW, heavyweight champion of the world, it's Phil DeFries getting the win by third round, TKO, 
did not have the success that he expected to in the UFC, has went over to Poland, and has run ruckshot over KSW. And I could see DeFreeze possibly retiring unbeaten and writing it out for a couple more fights there in KSW, cleaning out that division. That takes us to Saturday night. UFC Vegas at the Apex. It's UFC Vegas 49, the main event. Islam Mahachev versus Bobby Green on short notice. And Islam shows off his kicking game. And then he goes to the upper body wrestling attacks. You see Green able to disengage from those. But Mahachev changes up the game with the level change. Able to get the double leg. Green eventually from Mount gives his back and gets pounded out. It's 10 in a row. It's four finishes. He has three submissions. Here's the TKO. It's his fourth win by knockout. Was it overwhelming ground to pound? No, it wasn't. But this was a quick, quick beatdown. If you've ever played chess with a master and they're just like, I'll take you off the board, that's what Makashev did to Green. I don't think it's arguable. It's inarguable to me. After we see Gaethje versus Oliveira, Makhachev has to be the number one contender. Dominance, a 10-fight win streak. Maybe he hasn't had the top five wins that we would like, but there's been injuries. There's been canceled fights, and not all on his part. Only You can only beat the guys that are in front of you, and Islam has put together a win streak that is deserving of that ultimate opportunity and guys having to come after him. Green... It was a very resilient performance to come in on short notice to show that kind of chutzpah, that kind of courage. In the co-main event, we saw Wellington Thurman submit Misha Serkinov. Thurman, beautiful back take in the first round off of a takedown. Serkinov trying to tripod out. Thurman nearly had the rear naked choke. Serkinov able to avoid the danger, ended the round nearly having a north-south choke. In the second round, back into the clinch, Serkinov with a trip goes into the Thurman guard and a switch of the hips, lightning fast. We have the legs up, the arm is trapped, and Serkinov is tapping. Eighth win by submission, first armbar victory in MMA for Wellington Thurman. What a way to make a statement there. In the feature fight, we have some controversy as Priscilla Cachoeira defeats Ji Young Kim by unanimous decision. I felt like Kim had the volume in the first and the second round. That Priscilla Cachoeira was hurt in the third round several times, even though we saw the resolve in the end of the third round to throw these elbows, seven of them, one of them slashing open Kim to the left of her eye. But if you look at the majority of the damage and who was getting frozen up by strikes, looking like they could be in peril of the rep jumping in to stop the fight, I felt like Cachoeira was in much more danger earlier on in the third round than Kim was as that mounting offense happened towards the end of the round. The first round, I'm not really sure how you give it to Cachoeira. Again, the volume doubled up by Kim over Cachoeira. It was a bad decision in my account. In the lightweight division, we saw 
Armin Sarukian defeat Joel Alvarez, a second round TKO from ground and pound. It was two takedowns, smashing elbows in the first round. Saryukian destroys the nose of Alvarez. And I gotta say this, we've seen on Fight Island other fights with women involved get stopped when a nose is that broken. Here they did not do it. The bloodbath ensues. The takedown in the second round. Ground and pound to the finish. It's a five-fight win streak. 18th win for Saryukian. Seventh by knockout. A huge name also in the lightweight division. I'm telling you now, this was a big night for the future of the lightweight division. Not just because it gave us Islam Makhachev as the number one contender, but you saw Armin Sarukian, and there's a couple other names that we're going to get to that show us how the youth is starting to infuse into this division some prospects to take notice of. Another kind of controversial decision. This one's split decision, so I can't call it controversial because it was a close fight. Armin Petrosian defeats Gregory Rodriguez. I already told you it was a split decision. Armin rode the fence and landed many kicks in the first round, but I thought that Jarriguez was doing a lot with his aggression in the first round. The right hands, some brutal kicks though, coming from Petrosian, who was busted up by the right hands of Jarriguez. Volume over power. It's not always seen that way. And I guess the one time I saw the power for the volume, the judges go with the volume over the power. 127 landed strikes to 61. The split decision from two judges to one goes to Armin Petrosian. Coming off of the Contender Series, 7-1, beating a former LFA champion, Gregory Rodriguez, coming from that Stanford MMA camp there in Florida. That is a big win. It's a noticeable win for the Armenian. On the prelims, the continued rise of Ignacio Baja Mondays was showcased in the feature prelim. Submits Rong Zhu with a guillotine choke. That's what it was officially. I like it as that ninja choke where it's the rear naked grip for the guillotine. 24 strikes to the head, 11 to the body, 7 to the legs. There was a nice diversity of strikes from Baja Mondays and it kept Rong Zhu confused. It kept him on the outside and it kept him a step behind, frustrated, jumping in for that takedown, left his neck exposed, and that's what led to the guillotine in the third round. First submission win of Baja Monday's career, and he's on a three-fight win streak. Women's featherweight action, Josana Nunez takes the decision win over short-notice opponent Ramona Pasquale. Doubles up Pasquale and landed strikes. Two knockdowns. The left hand was a laser. Major damage around Pasquale's right eye. Big props to Pascal for taking the fight this week's notice, but you could see just the difference in proficiency and understanding of timing. Nunez with some great work. Interested to see where she goes now. 2-0 in the UFC, and she'll be back down at 135 for the next one. Terrence McKinney. Another lightweight to really focus on, and he is my favorite prospect in the lightweight division. I love these prospects as they're making their name, as they're making their introduction to this UFC audience. McKinney slips, overextending himself on a left hook, leads to a scramble. He takes the back, rear naked choke. All four wins of a four-fight win streak have come by first-round finishes. 100% win streak anyway. 
After three first round knockouts, we see the grappling come out from McKinney, who was an Olympic wrestling hopeful at one time. Jonathan Martinez got a decision win over Alejandro Pérez. It was the Martinez high kicks to low kicks, the variation, mixing it up, that kept Pérez off balance. In welterweight action, Ramiz Brahima gets into the win column. A level change, duck under, the takedown, the back take, the rear naked choke, the 10th submission victory of Brahima's career, and the 5th by rear naked choke, keeping that 100% finishing rate intact. And quite possibly one of my favorite fights of the night, another split decision, but it's Carlos Hernandez getting the best of Victor Altamirano to open up the card. It's a five-fight win streak for Hernandez. And I mean, when we talk about split decisions, it's a difference of five strikes in five seconds of control time. You could have called it a draw in my book. That one, we could run it back any day of the week. Love what the flyweights are doing, especially two guys that were hungry to make a name for themselves in their debut. I thought that they put on something that was close to fight of the night worthy. Now we're going to transition over to the news and the notes from around MMA this past week. Stepping outside of MMA real quick to the bare knuckle boxing world. We know that there was a bare knuckle mania too. Walking away from that successful event that seemed to have a great live audience. Bare knuckle boxing has announced a team up, a partnership with Tiller. It's an interesting announcement considering Tiller had to cancel their event schedule with their Tiller Triad Combat from Houston. And now they're teaming up with Bare Knuckle Boxing. On the Bare Knuckle side, Dave Felderman, their president and CEO, has said this will lead to bigger paydays, bigger events. That this is a step in the right direction for Bare Knuckle Boxing. We can all just hope that's so. MMA vet, who's fought for King of the Cage, Legacy XC, Ryzen Fighting Federation, Andy Nguyen. She is the latest name to be jumping over to the bare knuckle boxing circuit. Now turn our attention over to the UFC fight announcements. UFC fight night on March 12th. Mandy Bohm is out and Sabina Mazo is jumping in in a women's flyweight bout to face Miranda Maverick. Ariane Lipsky is also out, and J.J. Aldrich is going to be jumping in to face Jillian Robertson. That's also in women's flyweight action. UFC Fight Night on April 16th has seen a change of a welterweight bout. Diego Lima has retired, and Miguel Baeza will now be facing Andre Fialho. And in women's strawweight action, Sam Hughes will be taking on Isleta Nunes on that card. UFC Fight Night on April 23rd has gained in featherweight action. Love this one. It's going to be hard on the 23rd to get Fight of the Night because Charles Jordan is taking on Groovy Landon Venato. That one's going to be a banger. UFC 272, what we're going to be talking about here for March 5th. A late switch that we're going to get to. Eric Gonzalez is out and Devontae Smith is jumping in to face Ludwig Klein. UFC 274 on May 7th has a couple of announcements here. In the light heavyweight division, we're going to see a rematch between Shogun Hua and Ovin St. Prue. Michael Johnson is going to be taking on Alan Patrick, that one at lightweight. 
in flyweight action. Brandon Roy Vall is going to take on Matt Schnell. The UFC finally moving on from Schnell versus Alex Perez. And then in bantamweight action, Journey Newsom versus Fernando Garcia, also known as Fernie Garcia, for you LFA fans. UFC Fight Night on March 14th has gained in middleweight action. A quick turnaround for Nick Maximoff. He's going to be taking on Andre Pedorowski. And the UFC Fight Night on May 21st in the middleweight division has added Joseph Holmes versus Alan Alimedov. And in lightweight division, you can say Omar Morales versus Euros Medic. Also, for the June 4th UFC Fight Night event, we have a pair of flyweight additions. Ode Osborne versus Zurich Adeshev and Jeff Molina versus Zuglas Zuglabalov. LFA News, LFA 126, seen a change in the main event. Cuomo Antoni is out and Gabriel Bonfi will now be facing Eduardo Gavon for the vacant lightweight or for the vacant welterweight title. And then LFA 127 announced for March 25th at Commerce Casino in Los Angeles, California. Middleweight title on the line in the main event is Ozzy Diaz takes on Bruno Assis. And in the co-main event, Chase Gibson faces Javier Garcia. That's going to take us to talking about this week's action. On Friday, it is a Fight Pass Friday with a six-pack for you. CES MMA 66, Time FC 73, Cage Warriors 133, Tough Enough 127, Unified MMA 43, featuring the MMA return of Ryan Ford, The Real Deal, of former MFC glory, had taken some time off, went to boxing, he's coming back to MMA. Buro Santo Championship Volume 6, that's going to be early in the morning, and then as the clock turns to Saturday, from Italy, you have Venator FC 10. And this Saturday night, the main course, what we're all looking forward to, one of the most anticipated grudge matches in all of MMA history. It's UFC 272 from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, and the main event, number one ring, Kobe Chaos Covington against the number six ring, Jorge Gamebred Masvidal, the BMF champion. These two were once thick as thieves, best of friends, cornermen, training partners, there to warm each other up, cool each other down, even Reminiscent to the story of Masvidal was allowing Covington to stay on his couch when he first got down in South Florida, taking him in. Now we understand that this was a relationship of improvement. Masvidal improving Covington's striking, Covington improving Masvidal's wrestling. The two of them against the world as they tried to make that climb towards the top. When this relationship first started, I believe Masvidal was a lightweight still trying to make that climb. Changing his life, cutting less weight, moving up to 175 pounds, or 170 pounds, excuse me, thinking about Eagle FC and 175 one day. Um, moving up to 170, Masvidal has found his most success. His biggest victories, Ben Askren, Darren Till, Nate Diaz, they've come at 170 pounds. Now, at some point, it appears between these two, 
speculation would say it was money. It was fame. It was opportunity. It was who was getting more promotional attention, who was getting the bigger push, who had more eyes on them, who was making the bigger brand of themselves, drove a wedge between this relationship. That's what speculation would say. Now, if you've seen what's come out on ESPN this week, and you can read it throughout many other websites, when Covington won the interim welterweight title from Rafael Dos Anjos, when that bout happened, according to Masvidal, Masvidal's longtime striking coach was not paid the correct amount of money from Covington. It's literally, the report is that Covington gave the coach 5000 and they were expecting 12500 Covington says that he only got half the money that he was that is being reported for the fight, so their calculations are off. Even if it was the 5%, he still probably would have owed that coach $2,500. Neither here nor there. This is what drove a wedge between the two of them, supposedly. And Masvidal said that he paid that note for Covington, making it well for the coach's effort. And said that means you were owed a beating one day. There is a receipt and you're going to catch these hands one day. It's been a long lead up. It's been a lot of social media back and forth. But Saturday night, this side of Liddell Ortiz, we get the best grudge match that we've had from a thought process of these guys knew each other. That these guys helped bring each other to this arena to get this good they did it on those mats and now they can't stand each other we haven't had real beef real hatred like this quite possibly since uh, a Nurmagomedov and a McGregor maybe a Rousey and a Tate this looks to be some real hate and some real beef Covington four knockouts four submissions half his wins come by decision he's won his last eight fights against guys not named Kamaru Usman on the other side, Masvidal won his last three against guys that aren't named Kamaru Usman. Masvidal, though, 16 wins by knockout. Covington, though, will be testing Masvidal in a way that he has not fully been since coming up to 170. Everyone's willing, everyone has been willing to stand and trade with Masvidal. It was the big spectacular knockout of Ben Askren that we never saw what the Masvidal takedown defense is like at 170 pounds. Now, it's 75% takedown defense for his UFC career, and it's going to be tested because Covington shoots four times per 15 minutes, and this is a 25-minute fight. Most analysts, most pundits would tell you that the advantage in this fight for Covington is his cardiovascular ability. He has a deeper gas tank. He will go harder, longer, is what the book says about him. Now, if you actually look at the striking stats, the lands per minute and the strikes absorbed per minute, they're actually equal. So it a bit does change that narrative. It's more, I think, of a situation that Masvidal fights at his pace. He's willing to stand there and trade in the pocket at his pace while Covington tries to get in your face and overwhelm when he has that advantage. But the takedown defense and where this fight takes place is going to be pivotal. How much of this fight takes place on the feet? 
specifically talking about their striking, you got to believe that the more refined striker is Jorge Masvidal. He spent more time refining that art, more time on the pads, more time in the streets, more time overall working on striking. 16 knockouts to 4 knockouts. Masvidal has the bigger power. We've seen what he's done to Till, to, to Askren. He has the power in every limb. But unlike Covington, the takedown defense is going to be tested, so we don't know if Masvidal can use every limb. You feed a kick or a knee to Covington, you end up on your back, you end up in a position that you don't want to be in. So that does open up the striking for more diversity from Covington. He can throw the body kicks, he can throw the leg kicks if he feels comfortable doing it, but he has to be careful. And Colby's nickname is Chaos, and that's what he has to what he has to cause in the striking realm to have success. Because we've seen a Masvidal that was very close to timing Kamaru Usman. He's very educated on the feet, understands angles, tactics, and can pick up on patterns. So if you're Covington, you have to be able to mix those angles, mix those levels, mix those strikes. Use the fact that you're going to go for takedowns and throw kicks to your advantage. I feel like there's too much weapons and too much cardio in the favor of Colby Covington not to pick up the victory. Masvidal has to do something electric and knock out Covington to get this victory. The co-main event, the complexion of that fight changed just before I recorded. Number 6 rank Rafael Dos Anjos was scheduled to take on number 11 rank Rafael Faziz in the lightweight division. Another one that would be crucial for the direction of that 155 pound division. But unfortunately, Faziz, after having trouble with his visa status to get into the country, taking that fight away from the main event of the fight night two weeks ago, giving Jamal Hill his opportunity to shine in the spotlight. The fight's remade, and now Faziz has tested positive for COVID. We haven't seen RDA since his win over Paul Felder by split decision. Was a lot more dominant than that from the former lightweight champion. Names like Hanato Moikano and Armin Saryukian have been mentioned as possible replacements, so not all hope is lost, and possibly we still see RDA this weekend at UFC 272. The schedule feature fight at this point is number 10 versus number 11 at 145 pounds, Edson Barbosa against unbeaten Bryce Mitchell. Not going to talk about Bryce Mitchell, his outtakes or the interviews that he does. I haven't been a part of those. Barbosa... 13 wins by knockout. He has a 33 73% takedown defense. Why does that matter? Cuz Mitchell has 9 submission wins of his 14, 5 by rear naked choke and he shoots for over 3 takedowns per 15 minutes with a 46% takedown accuracy. Barbosa has the striking advantages. We know he has the hammering leg kicks. Mitchell is on paper the better grappler. He's a jiu-jitsu guy though. How has the wrestling improved? How can he close the distance and initiate those takedowns? Because if Mitchell go gets it to the ground, he has an advantage. Even though Barbosa still has a black belt, we've seen him susceptible on the ground to make mistakes, to be overrushed. But on the feet... Barbosa has that advantage. He's going to have to look to use his boxing. You need to jab and you need to stay out of the way. What kind of game plan? What kind of way do they enact it? It's striker versus grappler in this one. Kind of old school style. But believe me, Mitchell has been working on that striking. So if you can get Barbosa too concerned, 
with the takedown, maybe an overhand lands. The welterweight debut of Kevin Holland comes up next. He's going to be taking on Alex Oliveira. Both guys, interestingly enough, 17 finishes. Holland, 21 wins. Oliveira, 22. But both, 17 finishes. 12 knockouts, 5 submissions for each. Coming in the 6-3, Holland will have 4 inches in height, 4 inches in reach. Maybe we see Holland striking on display. I feel like Oliveira's going to clash in, crash into the clinch and want to test Holland in the clinch, test his takedown defense, and test how well he was able to cut this weight and rehydrate at 170. It's Holland's takedown defense, or does he catch Oliveira with something coming in? If not, Oliveira has done some tricky stuff there before, getting some nice trips and pulling off some slick submissions. In the heavyweight division, kicking off the main card, Greg Hardy takes on Sergey Spivak. Hardy, six knockouts of his seven wins. He's on a two-fight skid. Spivak, 3-1 and one in his last four of his 13 wins. He has 11 finishes, six submissions, five knockouts. He shoots for over three takedowns per 15 minutes. Spivak will be testing the Hardy takedown defense. Not like guys haven't done it before. We'll see if Hardy is able to land one of those Warhammers or does he fall to a three-fight skid. Feature prelim is in the lightweight division, Jamie Malarkey versus Jalen Fuller. Malarkey, 10 knockouts, 3 submissions, back-to-back knockouts of Devontae Smith and Kamo Worthy to put him on the map and give him this opportunity. Turner coming in, 8 knockouts, 3 submissions. That's 100% finishing rate as the Tarantula has been putting it all together and is 100% finishing rate. Fireworks there for the feature prelim, and that one could steal Fight of the Night honors. But they're going to have a run for their money as a top-ranked women's strawweight bout is also there on the prelims. Number three-ranked Marina Rodriguez taking on number four, Jan Shannon Rodriguez, six knockouts, a three-fight win streak. Somebody could earn themselves to be the backup for what we presume is going to be Nami Yunus versus Esparza 2. Shannon, five knockouts, six and one in the UFC only lost there to Esparza. This one's going to be a banger in close. This one is intriguing striking matchup. Both land over five strikes per minute and absorb three strikes per minute and evade over 50% of strikes thrown at them. It's going to be Muay Thai versus Wushu. I can't wait to see how this one plays out. In the light heavyweight division, Nick, Nick Mariano taking on Kenny Anshikui. Mariano, seven knockouts, Three submissions. That's 10 of his 11 wins by finishes. He's 2-1 in the UFC. Kennedy, six knockouts, 3-2 and two in the UFC. A slow starter, but big power once he lets the hands go. Opening up those middle portion prelims, it's a women's flyweight fight as Marina Agapava, 10-2, and two, takes on Marina Moroz. Agapova, 2-1 in the UFC, both wins by rear naked choke. She has five submissions on her record. Well, Moreau's known for her boxing, coming off back-to-back decision wins, but has half of her victories by submission. The early prelims, you have unbeaten Umar Nurmagomedov versus Brian Kelleher as the featured one there on ESPN Plus in UFC Fight Pass. Kelleher, eight submissions. 10 knockouts, 5-2 and two in the UFC since the start of 2020. The guy is kept active and he gets finishes. Nurmagomedov 
has just under half six of his 13 wins come by submission. He looks for the takedown early and often and looks to pound away. In the flyweight division, we have a ranked matchup. Number 13, Tim Elliott takes on number 15, Tiger Unlabegov. Both have six wins by submission. Both guys are active. Elliott a little bit more with the volume on the feet, but both love the scrambler after the takedowns. It's going to be a battle of cardio there at 125 pounds. Told you that Levick Klein has the short notice opponent, Devontae Smith. What you need to know there is Klein has 16 of his 17 wins by stoppage, 8 submissions, 8 knockouts. Smith coming in 11-3, uh, 10 of those wins by knockout, putting your lights out. So two finishes there early. And kicking off the card is a light heavyweight bout as Justin Jacoby takes on Michael Oliajancek. Jacoby, former glory kickboxer, King of Sparta heavyweight tournament winner, 6-0-1 in his last seven, 10 wins by knockout of his 16. And Oliajancek, 16 wins on his record, 11 by knockout. He has back-to-back -back wins in the octagon coming into this one. So you got a lot of finishers, a lot of pivotal action for light heavyweights and for the lightweights here on Saturday night, not to mention the welterweight division. Does Masvidal or Covington put themselves back in line for a big fight with Usman? Where does the winner land in the division after that one? How does the grudge match end? I'm sure it's going to be heated at the press conferences, at the weigh-ins, and throughout the week. Do we see a handshake? Do we see more blows thrown at the end of the night? Do we see this was all just a work and they were happy to make money? There's so much story, so much intrigue, so much drama, tension, and intrigue heading into UFC 272. Keep up with all of it at cageminds.com. And again, check out the After Hours Podcast Network. Easiest way to find it is cageminds.com slash after hours. Two words right there. And then also, don't forget, you can hear me on the podcast everywhere. Also, Mike Adams 2.0 and the website is cagedminds.com. Thanks for watching.